Second and Goal Fantasy Podcast. I'm Calvin, your host here with you as always. And in today's show, I'll be previewing the AFC South for fantasy football in 2022. And as you likely saw in the title, I've got a great guest on the show today. It's been great having various guests on the show over the last few weeks. And today's guest is another one who took part in the SiriusXM live draft for SFB 12 for Scott Fishbowl 12 just a few weeks ago that I partook in as well. He is of drrodo.com, Green Screens Media, and the founder of the Pros with Joe's Charity League, so very involved in the fantasy space. I'm glad to have Eric Romoff on here with me. Eric, it's great to have you on the show. Good that we got this scheduled. I know we're under a slight time crunch right now, but it's good to talk to you today, and I'm really excited to talk some AFC South in just a moment. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing well, Calvin. Thanks for, for having me on. Uh, we're going to go at 1.15 speed for all of you podcast listeners as it is, but <laughs> I think uh, I think with this conference or division in particular, it kind of lends itself to that anyways. <laughs> yeah, that's fair for sure. So obviously, I mean, I just mentioned the places where you are, create fantasy content, all of that, and your uh, charity league, of course. I wanted to give you a chance to kind of go into that a little more. Obviously, you're one of the you're a, the co-founder of that. And uh, yeah, I guess I wanted like, what, what, what do you do there? What is like, I guess you could describe that to the listeners. What wh- why did you start it? How'd you get into it? And like, what are the goals of that league? Yeah, um, there's there's really no quick version of this story, but I'll, I'll try to be concise. Uh, Pros with Joes is the charity league that we are making mention of. We are heading into our third season. We, we were founded in the 2020 season. This year, we have 56 industry experts from across the industry, literally every website, platform, radio station, TV station that you might consume fantasy content from we very likely have someone representing them within our roster. What is different about our structure is really twofold. One, instead of raising money for a singular charity, every single one of our 56 pros has selected their own charity. They, they, they designated who they want to represent and raise money for. So it's something that is near and dear and personal to them. And then two, as opposed to most charity leagues or listener leagues out there where you are pitting everyday players or listeners against those fantasy pros, we're bringing people together. Every single one of our teams is a pair of co-managers. It is a fantasy pro, and it is an everyday player, a Joe, who donated to that pro's charity in order to win their way into the league. So all said and done, 112 people this year. It ends up being a ton of fun. We, I've got so many stories about how real-life friendships have been formed, about how people have gotten jobs as content creators in the fantasy space through this, uh, and the list really goes on and on. And the awesome part is that all of this fun that we're having, all these great memories and stories that we're building, we're also raising a ton of money for a number of really, really fantastic charities uh, over the course of this. So this year, again, in our third year, we have um, actually already surpassed our highest watermark for uh, for fundraising yet. We're just wow. about to hit $16,000. Um, we're going to continue to fundraise uh, throughout the year. That will be kind of our winner's pot. Um, but ultimately... We are still doing our preseason fundraise, which is what determines how players, how pros and Joes get paired off. So if you want to get in on the action, you can head over our website, proswithjoes.com. Get registered. It'll take you to our donor page. You can donate to as many causes as you want and enter as many drawings as you like. And there's literally no minimum donation. Give a little, give a lot, whatever you can spare. These organizations do a really good job of getting the absolute most out of every dollar that gets donated. And whatever you decide to give, you're probably not going to miss it. You'll you'll probably feel pretty good about yourself, and you might win your way into the league. 
Yeah, that's awesome. And I mean, it's amazing what uh, you've been able to do with that over these last few years, of course. And yeah, I mean, for everybody, I would absolutely recommend checking that out. Um, and you're, I guess, at pros with Joe's on Twitter as well. And right. yeah, I mean, it's combining fantasy football thing we love to do. And like you said, making all these great memories and combining it with a great cause. And it sounds like you've really been able to make like a huge impact already, which is pretty incredible. And um, yeah, I mean, it's great to maximize like the giving and the charitable aspects that we can like uh promote in this space as well but yeah i think that that's really awesome I mean, everybody should go check that out for sure so yeah i mean anything else you want to plug before we get started where you are on twitter all of that websites anything uh yeah the easiest i'm, I'm all over the place um so the easiest place to find all of it is on my personal twitter it's at fantasy nav and av um and if you are uh scrolling around on youtube and you want to check out some dfs and betting advice for various niche sports uh check out green screens media it's green screens media on uh youtube or get green screens on tiktok and on twitter um a lot of really good betting advice and these these niche sports are they're kind of soft there's a there's a huge edge to informed players playing out there so check us out um and and certainly um you know give a like or subscribe to any of the content you stumble across out there absolutely all right so yeah, I mean that all that that I mean that's always a ton of fun as well. Uh you want it ready to jump into the AFC South? You got like 12 questions here to talk about. Uh you want to get started? Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's go. Starting with the Colts for the AFC South, of course. I just put this in alphabetical order. Um, but the Colts are probably also one of the top teams, one of the top two teams in this division pretty easily. Uh starting at the quarterback situation, I guess I'll kind of combine this question with the one we have here for wide receivers. Because obviously the Colts were one of many teams this offseason that acquired a new quarterback in fantasy football. For them, it was Matt Ryan. And I mean, for real life NFL as well. But they acquired Matt Ryan, of course, from the Atlanta Falcons after shipping off Carson Wentz. So the question here, of course, becomes obvious. How does Matt Ryan change this offense for fantasy? And then like how high is the ceiling of like Michael Pittman and the other wide receivers? And does that alter now with getting Matt Ryan here? I think it does in a big way, but I'm interested to hear your thoughts. What do you think about Ryan and Pittman and the other receivers next year? Yeah, I'll, I'll try to go in uh, in order that you asked the questions uh, to your first one. Does this change the offense for, for fantasy? Uh, not necessarily, right? I mean, Frank Reich is still going to run the same scheme and system that he's been running throughout his tenure in Indianapolis. What, what, what does change here is the efficacy of, of this offense. I think it's going to be far more capable, far more potent. So with that, you know, the way that they deploy their resources, the way that they, they you know, distribute touches across their various skill possession players, probably not going to see really much change, if at all, but how effective they are, uh, how many yards they're getting per touch, how, how often they are finding their way into the end zone and scoring as an offense. I think the arrow is absolutely pointing up on that front. So to your second question, um, you know, Michael Pittman is kind of everyone's, you know, favorite breakout candidate for the Colts. But in, in all reality, I mean, he, he kind of broke out last year, right? Like yeah. every, everyone, is, everyone is ogling Jonathan Taylor, and rightfully so. But, you know, my guy came up with nearly 90 catches almost 1,100 yards and six receiving touchdowns, right? Like he had a very strong year in an offense that was not focused on the passing game. And those passes were coming from one of the most inaccurate quarterbacks apart from downfield throws in the entire NFL. So, um, you know, the, the arrow for Pittman absolutely is pointing up. Like I mentioned with this whole offense, I think his opportunity to score is going to increase. 
I'm not sure if we're going to see a big uptick in his, in his opportunity, right? Like he had mm-hmm. better than 25% target share, probably going to finish around there. Maybe walks up to like 26 or 27%, but I don't think we're going to be like in a situation where he's, you know, pushing 30% target share. If he gets there and this offense continues to ascend as I believe that it will, I mean, he has, you know, wide receiver five upside on his range of outcomes. Um, but I, I don't think that they're going to saturate such a high percentage of their targets onto a single receiver. Yeah, I think that's pretty spot on. And I agree with you around that ceiling. Like, I don't think Pittman's a guy who has wide receiver one overall upside, but certainly top eight upside, maybe up to like wide receiver six, wide receiver five. He, or, But like you said, I mean, there may not be a ton of room for target growth, but what is going to be the growth is just the upgrade in passing and the upgrade in terms of having Matt Ryan as a quarterback versus Carson Wentz. That's going to help that consistency. And I think, I mean, it's possible we also see maybe an uptick in pass attempts as well, because obviously Jonathan Taylor's other world but at the same time like you've got a guy in Matt Ryan who I think even late in his career can still be a good quarterback I think he's going to look like a good quarterback this year behind a great Colts offensive line and with some weapons we might see the Colts let him air the ball out a little more maybe they're not going to skew his run heavy as last year so I think there's a chance that Pittman's targets go up maybe a little bit and then the efficiency just flies up to where like I mean he's going at the wide receiver 12 on fantasy pros half PPR I like him a lot even at that hefty price like I still think he has potential to exceed where he's being drafted and potentially be a breakout star for you next year. Yeah, for for me, you know, 12 is kind of the the high end of his his median outcome, right? Like I, I think mm-hmm. you're basically getting him at value there at 12. Um, you know, earlier in the summer, there were points where I think he even crept up to like 11. Um, there were also yeah. points where he was like down into like the 17, 18 range. Um, so you definitely have to watch that market. But Overall, the, the point that you mentioned that I would, I would want to echo, I tend to agree, right? This, this Colts team was right in the middle of the pack in terms of passing attempts, number 16, uh, 516 pass attempts for Carson Wentz last season. You know, Matt Ryan is absolutely going to throw the ball more than that, maybe not exponentially more, kind of around 550 or so would be where I'd feel pretty comfortable with his projection. But I do think he's going to be far more effective with those passes. And while that might eat away at some of Jonathan Taylor's volume. I think that the overall uptick in the, uh, in the productivity of the offense will make it be pretty close to a wash all said and done for, for JT. Yeah, I pretty much agree with that. And I think, yeah, there's no reason to like expect with Matt Ryan coming in, he's only going to improve this offense. That's not a reason to fade Jonathan Taylor. But with that being said, that's actually perfect to move into Jonathan Taylor. Uh, the, the question, the other question we have here, do you still think he's the number one overall pick in fantasy this year? Or are you on Christian McCaffrey? Or are you potentially on a wide receiver? Or is it like still clearly JT for you this year after his great season? Yeah, this is where I do the boring thing where I say, like, it really depends on your format and all that stuff. <laughs> um, for the vast majority of formats out there, absolutely, yes. Jonathan Taylor is still the number one overall pick. Really, the only logical argument that I can make against that is if you are in a high stakes league, if you are in a large field league where there are you know uh, conferences on conferences on conferences that all merge together, and you really need upside to try to drive that 99.5 percentile outcome yeah then maybe you can make an argument for christian mccaffrey even then i mean it's kind of a wobbly one um but for the overwhelming majority of your listening audience jt is an easy first overall pick and you can go on and plan for 
when you're on the clock 23 picks later. Yeah, I agree with that. I think in these first and second rounds for almost every league, you're not looking to win the league there. You're winning the league later on with huge picks, and it's much much better to take the guy who has the best combination of upside and floor, which is easily he's, tailored. He's just so safe. Like you, you can't you can't pass it up, right? Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Jumping in, I guess, next to the Jaguars, we got questions upon questions with this team, but just three here on the notes. Uh, this start starts, of course, with quarterback, and it starts with Trevor Lawrence, who had a disappointing season last year. Of course, he was under Urban Meyer, and everybody that Urban Meyer touched had a disappointing season last year. I think it's hard to deny that, except for maybe Dan Arnold was like maybe the one guy who benefited there. But the, I mean, and then he even got traded at the end, at the end of the day as well. But for the Jaguars, do you think Trevor Lawrence can take a year or two leap for fantasy? And like, do you think, what do you think is potentially his upside for next year? Yeah, I, I absolutely think that not only can he take a leap, but I, I think he will take a pretty considerable step forward, right? I was, I was actually kind of surprised, like, the propensity for uh, analysts and pundits out there to kind of write the book on Trevor Lawrence, right? Like, let's not forget, he is one of the best, most generational quarterback prospects that we've seen come into this league in quite a while, right? He's one of those once in every 10 year kind of guys. Granted, didn't have a great year last year. That's, that's, um, that's, that's not a, uh, a stretch to say, but also mm-hmm. a number of factors were playing into that. So I'll look to the body of work that we saw from him throughout his, his tenure at Clemson and think that that is the far more likely uh, representation of what we can see from him on the field. And then, you know, going even further, I mean, they got, they got Urban Meyer out, which just in and of itself should have things looking up in, uh, in Jacksonville. Then secondarily, they, they really invested in this guy, right? They went out and they made uh, a significant investment in, um, in, in the guard play. They, they signed the uh, largest guard contract in free agency. They brought in Christian Kirk, who got paid like a one, isn't necessarily a true one or X, but I do think he's an upgrade and fits really nicely into this scheme. And the scheme itself is now led by Doug Peterson for however much we want to laugh about how he likes ice cream and every meeting ends with getting some ice cream. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's, he's gotten the most out of guys like Carson Wentz and Nick Foles, right? He's gotten them to, uh, you know, above average play, even to Super Bowl caliber play. And they are not near the prospect and don't have nearly as much skill as Trevor Lawrence does. So very long winded way to say that, uh, Lawrence absolutely can. And in my book will take a step forward in 2022. Yeah, I think I 100% agree. I think he's a great late round value right now. And yeah, the, 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 it starts with Urban Meyer getting out of there. But just beyond that, there's so much to like. We I, The way he played in college and even the way he plays in the NFL, we know he's going to have a safe rushing floor of probably like 300 rushing yards, 350 rushing yards, something along those lines. So it's going, it doesn't, it's obviously doesn't sound like much, but when we know how rushing quarterbacks can break fantasy, even a small amount of those like third down scrambles can really provide a safe floor for him. And there are weapons to like here. Maybe Christian Kirk isn't a dominant alpha, but he's still a weapon to like, and he's still helping upgrade this wide receiving core. And then of course, like, I don't think any singular running back except like Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara really benefits a quarterback that much for fantasy. But I think Travis Etienne will have a chance to, I mean, he'll be a more safety option for Travis. Trevor Lawrence, a guy he's played with before, especially as a great pass catcher. And I mean, that'll, that can only help. That's not going to hurt him overall. 
but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with it. I think Lawrence has top 12 upside next year for fantasy. And in the lat, like he's in the late, late rounds of your drafts. If you're going zero late round quarterback strategy, which I almost always do in single quarterback redraft leagues, that's a guy I'm looking at almost in every draft and at least keeping my eye on him because he's a great value right now, in my opinion. Yeah, com- completely agree. I don't know if I have him going quite up to QB 12 in, in my mm-hmm. projections, but I mean, he can, he can finish his QB 15 and still be a great deal better than he was last year. Right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I don't have him as a top 12 quarterback to clarify. I just think he has that upside given his skill set. Sure. But yeah, like, I mean, you're looking at he's quarterback 18 right now in fantasy pros. We know most mm-hmm. teams don't need a lot of teams don't even draft two, two quarterbacks in a single quarterback league. Like that's like close to the last round of drafts. That's really late. It's it's very easy to just take take a shot on him and he can be productive, especially in good matchups. Next, yeah, moving the, on to go sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say the place where I, I would tend to look for him in a single quarterback league mm-hmm. is if you have one of these riskier guys, uh, Justin Field to Trey Lance, and you need someone who's going to have stable production throughout the entire season. T-Law is perfectly fit, to, perfectly fits that mold. Yeah, absolutely. I like that a lot for the running backs as well for the Jaguars. Obviously I just mentioned Travis Etienne. Are you taking Travis Etienne or James Robinson from this backfield? Is this in a void or do you think like one of them's a value right now for fantasy? Yeah, you know, I've, I've kind of gone back and forth on my position with this pretty much all summer. Um, I am a bit more worried than most about how much of a role uh, J-Rob will have specifically in third down work. Um, he's, he's just he's a, he's a better pass protector, at least based on what we've seen thus far, um, than Travis Etienne was in his days at Clemson. So I was, I was kind of worried about him chipping away at that work. But now, I mean, if, if, you, if you read any of the reporting, if you listen to any of the sound clips coming out of Jacksonville Jags camp, it seems like he is very questionable as to whether or not he is going to take the field in the early part of the season. And if Travis Etienne is able to get a full complement of touches all to himself early in the season, I expect him to hold on to those with a death grip and not give any of them up back to James <laughs> Robinson. So um, where I sit today, August 30th, I am outright avoiding James Robinson. I, I don't want to have to play the will he be available game with someone who might get 40% of touches at best. And ETN, while his while his ADP is dropping, he's you know, he's he's come down uh six, seven picks over the last couple of weeks. Um, I do think he still represents a pretty solid value, right? He's he's going off the board right around the beginning of the third round. I think that you can get very steady RB2 volume out of him. And he's dynamic enough in the open field to where he can he can creep into the back end of that RB1 range with his upside. Yeah, it's in it's a weird situation, like you mentioned. And I, I mean, I like I agree with you 100 percent that ETN has that upside. But the reason it's such a weird situation is just the fact that obviously Robinson got injured late last year. And the reports are have been very vague throughout the summer. At one point, it did seem like it looked like Robinson would maybe be back week one and healthy. Yeah. But like you said, that really could be all the difference. Like if ETN plays the first two weeks and Robinson doesn't, and he runs for 100 yards one game and a touchdown, he might just have this role locked up. And I'm a big believer in James Robinson and have been for a while and think that 
the argument for ETN based solely on he was a first round pick is totally bogus now that Urban Meyer is gone. And obviously, I mean, their GM is still there, but I don't think the, Doug Peterson has any obligation to use him for that reason. But at the same time, Doug Peterson may have an obligation to use him if he's the only healthy running back on the roster. And if he comes in and has a couple big games, you're right. He may just lock this up and never take it away. So I don't think Robinson, like I think best case scenario for Robinson isn't that great. And best case scenario for ETN maybe is really great, which it definitely explains the wide, wide disparity in their draft capital to the point where like Robinson's going late enough. I might consider it, but ETN has all the upside and that's what's mainly important when you're trying to win your leagues. Yeah. The, the, the drafting of ETN was super weird to me, but it happened and we're here now. And I think, I think the front office and this coaching staff wants to see what they have in the young guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Last question for the Jaguars about their wide receiver core in general, and specifically Christian Kirk. Do you think Christian Kirk, who I guess I'm trying to pull up where he's going, I think late, usually the late 30s in terms of wide receivers, wide receiver 40 on fantasy pros, is that a value right now or is he going in the right spot? Because he's the wide receiver one in an offense and going at wide receiver 40. And Trevor Lawrence, we both think, is going to take a leap next year. Does this mean that Kirk really is like more of a locked-in wide receiver three than people think, or is there are there more concerns here? Yeah, I mean, for for me, he's much more of like a locked-in wide receiver, too. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. WR40 off the board, he's basically going kind of right between the end of the sixth and the beginning of the seventh. I mean, he is, he is one of a very short list of guys that is going to categorically lead his team in volume, in target share, in routes run, probably in yards, maybe not in touchdowns. Um, but he, he very much so is going to get the WR1 workload for Jacksonville, especially now that Visca is heading out the door for any mm-hmm. Visca truthers still hanging on out there. Um, so to, you know, to get someone that is, is going to have just such a high volume floor that late, late in the drafts. I mean, I'm, I've got a ton of Christian Kirk again, his upside is somewhat limited. I mean, he hasn't really shown the ability to separate or to win contested balls in the, in the, in the end zone specifically. So I don't think we see him, you know, catching more than maybe six or seven touchdowns. Um, but I, I do think that he is in line for well over a hundred targets should flirt with a thousand plus yards again this year. And you're you know, getting him next to guys that are, um, you know, suspended for the first six games of the year, <laughs> or that we have, you know, no actual experience with at the NFL level. So um, for me, Christian Kirk, if, if you are taking, upside shots if you're taking risks elsewhere in your draft when you are assembling your team he is the perfect guy to counterbalance that because i think he's just going to be rock solid and that adp is just too good to pass up yeah i 100 percent agree i think christian kirk at 40 is an easy floor pick there's no possible way to me that he finishes lower than that and i think the far higher likelihood is that he is a wide receiver three or wide receiver two so there's no very little risk involved and basically a guaranteed value reward in my eyes from where he's going right now Let's move to the Texans. I think maybe the least relevant fantasy football team. And I think at quarterback there, I mean, I put Davis Mills on here is I don't really see any reason to even consider Davis Mills in fantasy, but I guess the bigger question is what in a, in a single quarterback league, of course, and definitely in a super flex, but the bigger question here for a single quarterback redraft league is, are you considering anybody here outside of Brandon cooks for wide receiver? And like, where are you taking cooks? Like how consistent do you think he's going to be next year? 
Yeah, um, I'll go in reverse order. I think I think Cooks is going to be incredibly consistent this year to come, as he's been throughout his entire year. Right? If you go back and look over uh, his his game logs for for his career, I mean, he's just so steady in terms of uh, the volume that he's getting, in terms of his average depth of target, uh, in terms of you know the rate at which he wins on target and off target passes. I mean, he's just he is the model of consistency. Um, it's all but, I think, one, maybe two seasons. It's a, every season that he's played 15 or more games is probably the better way to put it. He's gotten up over 1,000 yards. Um, he is very much so going to be the focal point of this Texans receiving core. That being said, I am taking a lot of late-round flyers on Nico Collins. Um, you know, you look at him specifically over the last four or five games of the season, his dot jumped up considerably. He was getting more and more looks down the field in the red zone, in the end zone even. And we're seeing a lot more of that in, in the preseason for the Texans, right? If you look at this last game, yes, Damian Pierce was absolutely the, the darling and the, the headline from there. But Nico Collins had three different red zone looks, two of them in the end zone, one of them that he caught for a touchdown. It was called back for OPI on Chris Moore setting an illegal screen. And then his other target was one on third down down the field so the Texans are, are very much so getting into a rhythm where they're looking at Nico Collins as one of those leverage plays in those in those pressure situations they need a big third down they need a chunk play they need a guy to go up and get the ball in the end zone Nico Collins seems to be stepping into that role and my guy's basically free right I mean you can yeah. sometimes pick him up off the wire the other times where you're not last you know two maybe three rounds of the draft he's he's there for you and this team is going to be trailing a lot so you know it's, it's going to be a high pass volume offense especially in the second half of games they're going to need to take those downfield and those end zone shots and I think most of those are going to be funneled towards Collins yeah he re- I like that a lot and I like the analysis on both Brooke, uh, Cooks and Collins Collins of course like small sample size of course here but last five games of the season last year he was over 100 target pace and he was averaging six a game and had half of his total season targets in those last five games like he was getting more involved wasn't anything like Nazi I mean that's why nobody was talking about him but he wasn't involved enough to where like now it's continuing into the preseason it's probably a real thing that we'll see some sort of jump for Nico Collins in year two he's going late so there's not really much risk there. So, I mean, there's no need to even guarantee that he's going to be incredible. Just the upside of, and, and the like opportunity that's now available here, because there's really just no one behind Brandon cooks. Like Mechie was the only one challenging Nico Collins. And now of course he's gone for the year. So Collins is clearly, clearly the wide receiver two here in my eyes. And it, it doesn't have to even be like that. He doesn't have to even be that great to still exceed his draft position with that kind of opportunity. Yeah, ph- phenomenal best ball pick and a guy that, I mean, at minimum, I think he's going to participate on 80, 85% of routes in Houston. And this team's going to be trailing. And this team generally, like, Brandon Cooks has been awesome for this offense. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see him in Houston, not this upcoming year, but the following year. But this front office and this coaching staff, they are in hardcore evaluation mode. They are going to give all of their young guys every opportunity they can so they know – next year when they presumably have a high draft pick and they can start cashing in on some of the capital they got from the Browns, whether or not they need to address that position. So they want all, they want all these young guys to succeed. They want to see them do well. They want to give them every opportunity to do so. Um, So I'm, I'm all over 
Nico Collins in, in that late round. Mm-hmm. Yep. I love it for sure. Last question for the Texans is, I mean, I actually wrote this question, I think earlier today, and then Marlon <laughs> Matt got cut midday. So I think the answer, we already know the answer, but now the question becomes like, is Damian Pierce the lead guy? Yeah, probably. But like, how good is he going to be? And how long maybe does he stay as the lead guy? Is he going to be the RB1 for this team the whole season? I'm interested to hear because Pierce's stock is flying up draft boards right now. Like he's the most important story in fantasy at the moment. Sheesh. Anybody who wants to dunk on people who draft in the summer and in the late spring, this is the reason why you do it. (laughs) I have no less than a dozen shares of Damian Pierce that I got in the 12th round or later, right? Um, to, to your question, it, it kind of kind of plays back to the point I was making with Collins, right? Like this Texans front office needs to know what they have in their young assets. I think it's a big part of the reason why Marlon Mack was released today, right? Like yeah. Marlon Mack is at best going to be Marlon Mack. And if that is your lead running back, you need to address that position in the not too distant future. Damian Pierce at least has flashed some upside. And again, specifically the way they're utilizing him in the preseason they're giving him the ball a ton on third down when it's short they're giving him the ball a lot in the red zone um so again they're going to him in these high leverage situations largely to see what it is that he can do for them i I mean for me barring injury he is going to be the primary running back in houston for the duration of the season there's still rex burkhead and a couple of just randos sort of hanging out i don't think that we're talking about like a david montgomery usage but i wouldn't be surprised at all to see him get 68 70 percent opportunity share out of that that texans backfield mm-hmm. yeah he's out all the opportunity in the world right now but he's of course that fourth round running back but now he's shining in training camp and it's always interesting because you want to try to take these guys on a case-by-case basis it's also the data tells you that running backs after round three are rarely successful in the nfl but then again, running backs after round three rarely have this kind of a preseason and rarely kind of have this an opportunity like Damian Pierce has right now. So he's worth, I mean, I don't even know, like I haven't looked at his ADP, I guess on fantasy pros, I've been seeing it rise up elsewhere. He's currently the RB 34 on fantasy pros. So if you're saying starter for the duration of the season, that still looks like a value to me. And so I think there's still time to maybe pounce on Damian Pierce before it, I don't know if his ADP is going to get even crazy, crazier. We'll see. But I mean, if you want to act, act fast, I think for sure. Yeah, I think over the last seven days uh, on uh, NFFC, he's gone as high as the running back 15 and his average is right around RB 28. So it is absolutely skyrocketing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So let's move to the Titans. Um, Last team we got to talk about here. Obviously, they have they've retained most of their support boarding cast except for really aj brown who they traded off to the eagles and that's a big part of it but in his place it's Traylon burks and it's robert woods at wide receiver so for them what impact does ryan Tannehill have on them and then of course ryan Tannehill's like own impact for fantasy and like yeah what do you think is the upside for a guy like burks or a guy like robert woods next year in this titans offense yeah i think uh for for ryan Tannehill, really nothing to see here right like The points where he's been uh, an asset in the fantasy game are years where he is like unreasonably efficient. Um, And the years where he gets a a handful of those super annoying, like goal line, uh, you know, bootleg or rushing, rushing touchdowns. So 
um, you know, hard to you know rely on those happening again. Not really looking for uh, for him to to really even register on the fantasy radar. Um, in terms of Woods and Burks, um, I love the value that Woods represents. He's another guy kind of going in that Christian Kirk range, maybe even a little bit later. That I think has a really safe volume floor. I do think over the course of the season, Traylon Burks will start to and continue to emerge. This this conditioning asthma breathing situation is really weird. Like he was he was dealing with it seemingly all throughout his career up until this point, but now it's keeping him off the field. I don't know if something has progressed, whatever it might be, but it is it is limiting his his practice time and his reps. So I do expect the ramp to the speed of the NFL game to take a little bit longer. For me, it's it's probably it's certainly not a, a, a fair comp in terms of why they're in the positions that they are. But if if we want to make a, you know, somewhat of a comp, I would look to what we saw from from Brandon Ayuk last year. Uh, granted, it was kind of off the field and sort of behavioral issues that were keeping Ayuk from seeing a full complement of snaps. But around the midpoint of the year, he really started to creep back up into that 80, 90 percent snap share range. And started to contribute in a much more uh, significant fashion. I think we see a similar arc for Traylon Burks this year, albeit for a different reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've seen a lot. I think for for me, the most part, I've mostly faded the training camp concerns of the asthma and the the like poor play because he'll have like have occasional poor practice. But it looks like he's been kind of lighting it up as of late as well. I just loved him as a talent. And I think the draft capital speaks for itself. I don't know if we're going to, I definitely could see some sort of transition period happening where he's still ramping up to the NFL level, but I don't expect it to take too long because I think he's an incredible talent and really had is, is necessary in this offense and going to be, because I mean, as, as good as, as okay as Robert Woods is as decent as Robert Woods is, they still need somebody else at receiver to throw to, in my opinion. And I think there's a lot of upside there for Burke. So I like that a lot as well. Now, um, I know the like meeting time right here is running out on Zoom. And so I'll get to this last question here real quickly. It's about Derrick Henry, of course. How high do you think he should be in half PPR this year? Like, do you think, like, where are you taking Derrick Henry in a half PPR league? In, uh, in half PPR, he's actually a bit higher for me. I've got him as my running back four. Um, in full PPR, he's a little bit lower. Um, mm-hmm. But even with that being said, I mean, he, he started – catching the ball randomly last year he only played eight games and he uh, essentially was within one catch of his career high in reception so he was on a trajectory to absolutely smash it but even with that we're talking you know 30 35 ish receptions um so not a huge difference uh you know between half and full point ppr but point being still very high on derrick henry and i think that Yet again, this Titans offense will be built to run through King Henry. Mm-hmm. Yep, I absolutely agree. I think RB4 is around where I'd have him too and half PPR as well. I think a guy like Taylor, McCaffrey, they're probably ahead. Then it just becomes, it's close for me between like an Ackler and a Henry. Honestly, I, I could see a case even for Henry as a top three running back in half PPR just because of how dominant he's been. And it, people do overlook the fact that he did have a few receptions here and there last year, for sure. I mean, we were waiting for it his whole career. Like, when's he going to start catching the ball? And then all of a sudden he was doing it and he was going to break like every fantasy scoring record for the position and then yep. got hurt, which is obviously a bummer. Yeah, but he's got all the upside in the world again. 
So that wraps up this show. And thank you, Eric, for hopping on here. And I looks like we've just made it through the time crunch. We should be all set. Perfect timing. Thanks again for jumping on. Anything you want to plug again quickly before we wrap it up? Calvin, thanks for making some space for me and letting me talk about the AFC South and my love-hate relationship with the Texans. Um, I will absolutely shamelessly plug the charity one more time, Pros with Joes. That's Pros with Joes on Twitter, proswithjoes.com. We're still raising money through the end of the day on September 1st, so you have an opportunity to get in on the action. Uh, whatever you can contribute, even if you can't donate anything, uh, you know, spreading the word, hitting a retweet, um, you know, helping raise awareness really goes, goes a really long way. So proswithjoes.com. Absolutely. So guys, be sure to check that out. At, he's on Twitter at Fantasy Nav. Thank you guys for tuning in. And I will see everybody. You can listen to the AFC West episode. That's also in your feed. I'll see everybody as well next week for the first week one preview episode. I'll see you guys next time.